My name is Leland Brown, if you don't know me, and it is just a real joy to be here this morning. I'm a, I serve as the, on staff as the middle school pastor, but, but really, uh, I feel like in, in many ways, I'm a child of this church. I was saved here when I was uh, 17 through the ministry of Campus Outreach, and I've been just built up and discipled and grown in this church. Many, many of you all have blessed my family and been very patient with me in a lot of things, and so uh, it, it is just such a joy to share the word with you this morning. If you would, grab your Bibles and go to Philippians 1. Philippians is the sixth letter in the New Testament, kind of between Ephesians and Colossians. And I'll just uh, set the stage a little bit for this passage. Um, <clears throat> so it's mission trip season here at East Cooper. We've got a lot of trips going on. I just got back from a mission trip uh, to Spartanburg. We took um, about 35 middle school students, worked with a great mercy ministry called Miracle Hill, and the trip was fantastic, and the Lord was at work, and it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. But we have this phrase in the middle school ministry, and that is that there is always something on a mission trip. Something always goes wrong. And this year, we had an in, a new injury every single day. Uh, we had one kid, only one kid in the hospital, but it was only for a night, and he's back, he's fine. Uh, but there's, there's always something. But most of the things are relatively minor. Um, but I want you to imagine before we open this passage up, that you have gone on a mission trip uh, for the Lord. Maybe you've taken a big step of faith and obedience and you've gone somewhere international and hard and the trip has gone terribly wrong. Not just like a little bit wrong, like travel stuff, but like let's, let's pretend you, you, you show up somewhere, maybe in the Middle East, uh, you're doing ministry, people come to faith, and all of a sudden the government decides to start arresting Westerners. And you find yourself, because you've been obedient to Jesus, you find yourself in a prison cell. And someone, maybe a fellow prisoner, sneaks you a, a pen and paper, and they ask you if you want to write a letter back to your home church that sent you on this great mission trip. Uh, and I want you to think about, just before we jump in, what do you say? What do you, what do you lead with uh, writing back to your home church? We'll dive into Philippians 1, verse 12. That's the context of this passage. Paul's been a missionary. Um, he has suffered for the gospel. He's gone hard. And now, most likely, he is uh, imprisoned in Rome uh, at the end of the book of Acts. And he's awaiting uh, to see whether the emperor will sentence him to death or release him. So here we go. This is Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. Here's what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, 
but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, you, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the privilege of worship, especially uh, in freedom. And we just remember that today. We, we glory in Jesus. And Lord, now we just pray for your help. Um, it's so easy to be distracted and tired when we approach your word. And I just pray it'd be, to everyone in this room would be precious and that you would open this passage to our understanding and you would help it, uh, you'd help us apply it to our lives. We just seek you now, and we plead for your help, in Jesus' name, amen. So perspective is a really powerful thing. Perspective is just how you look at your life, it's how you see your life, it's how you see yourself and the things around you and what happens to you, it's how you view things. Uh, perspective, our, our perspectives on life can really hinder us or free us. I remember, uh, I used to think, my perspective used to be that I needed eight hours of sleep to function as a human being. And then I had a child. <laughs> and now it's like, oh man, four? I can do four, you know? Um, but that's kind of, that's freed me. Like, I don't have to have my eight hours of sleep to, to live. Uh, you know, I used to drive by people's unmowed lawns and be like, man, they are so lazy. And now I'm like, they must have children, you know? Like, I bet they do. Uh, anyways, it's not just the small things. Uh, perspective is big. Um, perspective can really, really change things. Abraham Lincoln, uh, president of the U.S. during probably one of the hardest times in the history of our country, uh, he, said, he said this, some people complain that roses have thorns. I am thankful that thorns have roses. Wouldn't it be great to think like that for five minutes? You know, just five minutes a day to have that perspective like that. But it appears um, that his unbounded optimism and ability to find good in the bad was what gave him the ability to persevere and to lead, to lead our country through a terrible time. So perspective is a big thing. It's powerful. I just want you to imagine for a second what it would be like, what your life would look like if you had a perspective that was based on reality that enabled you to rejoice in every circumstance. What if you had a perspective that would make flat tires or boring summer days or 80-hour work weeks or dirty diapers significant and full of joy? What if your perspective could make going to the hospital, you or someone else, for someone else, a time where you could legitimately, because of the truth, because of your outlook, rejoice? What if your perspective could make losing your life or your freedom or your finances not a burden to be afraid of, but something to rejoice in for Jesus. That's exactly what we see in this passage. There is a, though it sounds impossible, there's a perspective here that has enabled Paul 
against everything going on in his life, all the things that are around him, it's enabled him to rejoice and to find joy. And so if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, I want you to know that there is an invincible joy and a perspective that's founded in the gospel and that that for you has been bought by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid for that with his life. And you can take it up. You can have it. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, I just want, or you're on the fence, or you're not really sure, I just, I just hope this is kind of an advertisement for the Christian life, that, that, that the joy and the delight that is here, I hope that, I hope that attracts you to Jesus. But let's just look real quick. Uh, there's a lot in verse 12 to 20. I, I tried to uh, explain it all in a sermon, and it was like an hour long, so I had to cut some stuff out. Y'all don't, you know, it's July, July 4th weekend, you know. Um, but the biggest thing I want you to see in verses 12 to 20 is Paul has an invincible joy in some impossible-seeming circumstances. Look at verse 12. He says, um, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, really you could translate that, all these things that have come against me. You know, Paul, it hurts. Like, Paul realizes this is not good stuff. This hurts. And he lists the things that have come against him. And the first one is that he is imprisoned for Christ in verse 13. And the second one is in verse 15 and 17. It's a little tricky, but apparently uh, there were people preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. They were, they were talking about Christ in verse 17 out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. I think it's maybe a modern day parallel is that, that Christian blogger who claims Jesus but just crushes other believers. Uh, there were believers, probably, that were slandering Paul in the name of Jesus. And the last thing we see here is Paul is awaiting what could be a death sentence. There's a, an evil Roman emperor deciding whether he's going to live or die. And just, Again, imagine yourself in his shoes. You know, what, are you, what are you writing home about? And Paul says this, very emphatically in verse 18, he says, uh, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This word rejoice is kind of like to take the light in. Think of the way some of y'all uh, take the light in a steak dinner or a little baby, or maybe if you're a Coastal Carolina fan, the way you take the light in winning a national championship. And that, that was cool. I was excited to be um, from South Carolina then. But, but Paul, he is, he's looking at his circumstances, and because of his perspective, that's how he's, he's delighting in what's happened to him. He's, he's actively rejoicing in these things going on. And that's, that's the present. But in, even in the future, he says, uh, he says specifically in verse 20, it's my eager expectation and hope. Like kind of like, a, this is, he's like a kid trying to choose between Christmas morning and Disneyland. Like he's excited, you know? Like, um, and that's, he's excited about finding out whether he's going to live or die. So this joy, there's, again, there's a lot to these verses but primarily, this is a picture of the joy unspeakable and full of glory that's in First Peter. This is a picture of the real deal. This is, this is the kind of joy that is the, the fruit and the inheritance of a believer. That, that this, is, this is real. Paul is a truly happy man because he has learned how to find happiness really in difficult circumstances. He, he's learned, like he says in Philippians 4, that he's learned the secret of being content, wherever he's at. He's finding the, 
the rose and all the thorns, right? And now we've talked about Paul's joy. I just want to just ask, how's your joy? Can you say honestly that you have, you have found joy or happiness in something difficult in your life? Can you, can you say that, man, I have, like, my joy is durable, that it, that it weathers all of life's storms, that it's real? I think my joy is really, uh, quite frankly, mostly determined by my circumstances. I've got a very embarrassing illustration um, about this, but we were on a mission trip. This was a week ago. Uh, last day was the really fun day. We, were, we took the kids to Carowinds on the way back, and uh, my ministry associate, Caitlin, who does all, a great job, um, she had a great idea, and it was to give the kids our mission trip t-shirt, which was bright red, and said rejoice on the front and had Philippians 4.4 on the back, to give it to the kids on the last day so they would have it while they were at Carowinds so that basically if they wandered off, we could spot them like little sheep wandering astray. Now, there, the red one, get him. Um, but anyways, uh, so we go, and we, we did everything right. We planned well. We got our tickets beforehand. We went to guest services and got them. We had a big sheet. We passed them out to the students, made sure everyone had one. We wait in the hour, you know, 45-minute-long security line, and we get to the gate, and the tickets won't scan. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm sorry your scanner's broken, but, you know, thanks for letting us in. And they're like, no, you guys have to go to the side. Like, did y'all try to reprint these? Like, or, like, they were, like, accusing us of, like, anyways, the tickets didn't work. And they kept running back and forth and bringing the tickets, and none of them would work. And I am just boiling inside. It's been a long week, admittedly, okay? End of a long week, right? But I am just, I am ready to take one of these Carowinds employees aside and just ruin their day. And I'm like, and thankfully, I think before I exploded, they, they let us in. It worked out. But I was just thinking, here I am wearing a giant red T-shirt that says rejoice on the front of it with Philippians 4.4 in the back. And I'm about, to, I'm about to strangle this guy. And I think, to, to be honest, that's typically, that's a great picture of how we are. You know, we're, we're Christians, most of us, we, we have the truth, you know, but Really, our joy is found in our circumstances. And when things get hard, we just, we get grumpy. And we're not alone, though. Um, there's a lot of examples in the Bible about this. A lot of God's people were like this. Uh, Elijah, um, if you know the story of Elijah, he was a prophet in the Old Testament during a terrible time in Israel's history. Uh, but he was, a, in 1 Kings 18, he kind of goes to war a little bit with these uh, evil prophets of Baal. And he has a contest with them on who, who can make uh, an unlit pile of wood uh, come afire. And anyways, he, he calls on the Lord, and the Lord sends fire from heaven. So just imagine you pray, and fire from heaven comes down, okay? Fire from heaven lights up the offering, and he, uh, all of Israel agrees with him, and they kill all the prophets of Baal. Biggest victory in 50 years. Good day, right? And he gets a letter from Queen Jezebel, who was very evil, who said, I'm going to kill you. And the next chapter, he's running away, and he's saying, God, please kill me because I'm so terrible. That's, I mean, that's, that's what we're like. You know, what, something amazing happens, and we're like, yes. And then our circumstances change, and we're like, Lord, just kill me. You know, gosh. And for me, it's comforting to know that uh, Paul, Paul wrote this for a reason. And the Philippians, I think, like a lot of us, um, the Philippians were a healthy church. They, uh, they were one of Paul's favorite churches, and they had no real major doctrinal or uh, moral issues. They were pretty solid. 
But if you read the book, you can tell they, they were kind of grumpy. Like they struggled with joy. Like Paul says rejoice in this book like 15, 20 times. Uh, he tells all these stories. He, he encouraged them in humility. In 2.14 he says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Um, they had issues. They had stuff. They, they, they struggled. And they really struggled to find joy. And so what Paul does here is he provides himself as an example. He's shown us the joy. And what he's about to do is he's going to show us how. And so if you're sitting here and this is something that you want, if you want to have a joy that is durable, that continues through all of life's storms, that's, that's there, that's available in whatever circumstance you're in, if, you're, if you don't think it's possible, if you're like, there's no way that I could actually live like that, look at, look at verse 21. Here's the grounding. Uh, it starts with, verse 21 is, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Just really quickly, I was an English major, and so I like grammar, but which is weird for most of you, I know. Um, but verse 21, uh, for, when you see for in the Bible, that means that what comes next, that's the grounding for everything that is before. So all the joy up here, for, here's the reason why. Here's, here's why I'm joyful. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So when Paul says, for me, like, here's how I view life. Man, his, his, his view is just full of the gospel, right? I mean, I mean the, this message about Jesus, about God's son who became a man and who lived for 30, 34, 35 years and who'd suffered and died for God's people and then he was risen from the dead and he's ascended at God's right hand. That message wasn't just something over here in you know, my spiritual life box. It was a message that was the lens through which he saw all of life. Everything, how I live, when I die, it's all filtered through the gospel. It's, it's, it's his perspective on life, what enabled him to have joy was the fact that his perspective was based on the gospel. It's kind of like a, you guys have ever seen a, story, uh, a movie with a giant twist right at the end and it kind of blows your mind and changes the way you watch the movie? Um, I remember I was, I'll just ruin one for you. Uh, the Village, it's a, a kind of a, a thriller or whatever, but story of a, a small town in the 18th century or 19th century, uh, you know, really rudimentary. They were farmers, uh, didn't have a, any modern medicine, and kind of weird. They were in their little town, and this is, you know, a movie, not true, but, and they were surrounded by uh, these evil creatures that if they, if they stayed in town, everything's great, no one gets hurt, but if they leave, bad things happen. Anyways, uh, the main character, uh, the love of her life gets injured, and so she decides that she is going to another town. I don't care what happens to me, I'm going, and I am getting some medicine. And so she breaks through, and the, the evil beasts chase her, but she gets through. And she jumps a fence, or a wall, and she lands on pavement, and a Land Rover drives by. And you're like, what? You know, like, oh my gosh. So... It, you find out that it's actually the modern day and all these people had intentionally separated themselves from the rest of the world and that the people were actually the ones pretending to be the beast. Like, I guess the, uh, the, adult, the patriarchs of the family had decided we're escaping from the world and we're staying by ourselves. And so you can never watch the movie again or you can't ever watch this movie, you know? I ruined it for you, right? Uh, but my point is that for Paul, the twist in the story, the event that shaped everything, not just Sundays, but everything, was the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ had changed how he saw life. It changed how he saw the meaning of life and the meaning of death. 
So first, to live is Christ. It's kind of a tricky verse. The first time someone shared this with me, I had no idea what it meant. Um, but if you look, uh, to live as Christ is explained in the following verses. So he says, first, uh, for me to live as Christ, and the next time he talks about living is verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And then in verse 25, again he says, uh, if I remain, if I live, that's for your progress and joy in the faith. So he, he says right here, to live is Christ, and to live is fruitful labor. And so he connects the fruitful and abundant and eternally rewarding life of Jesus with his life and what his life is about. Which I'll try to have you think about that. Um, think about the life of Jesus for a moment. Uh, from a worldly perspective, he really didn't do much. He never left Judea, which would be the equivalent of uh, being born in Columbia and never leaving South Carolina. Um, he never tweeted anything, right? He never wrote a book, uh, never got married, um, he lived the first 30 years of his life as a no-name carpenter and the next three years as a somewhat popular but controversial preacher and then he was killed by the Romans and nothing political changed. That was his earthly life. And if you look at the Gospels carefully, his earthly life was um, kind of, like we talk about margin a lot, he had no margin. Uh, Jesus stayed up all night praying for his disciples. Like he spent himself. You know, he, he fell asleep in the, the story where he calms the storm, like he fell asleep in the back of a boat in a thunderstorm. Not like a, you know, Boston Whaler, but like a rickety old, you know, wooden boat that barely floats back in the day. Like he fell asleep in the back of one of those things during the thunder. That's how tired he was. He's, he spent himself. And then he suffered and died. But the life of Jesus will bear fruit for eternity. There will be no joy in heaven besides that which was bought by the blood of Jesus. He, Hebrews, Hebrews 10 says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That, that Jesus, the reason he came and the reason he lived and died was for us, but it was also so that he could enjoy seeing us be changed. He could enjoy saving us. He could enjoy um, seeing our joy in heaven forever. Jesus is going 500 billion years from now, when all of our heroes and all the people we know are forgotten, Jesus' name will be known. And he, and he will stand before all people that he saved, and he will enjoy the fact that their salvation was a result of his life. And Paul says, that's how I see my life. My life is an opportunity for the same kind of fruitful labor that Jesus accomplished with his life. I don't know if any of you enjoy a job well done or you find satisfaction in doing something and you actually see a result. Uh, I remember one time, I, I really... I've, I, we bought a house a couple of years ago and I've tried to be handy around the house. It's been a struggle. But uh, one day I decided to power wash and so I went to Lowe's and rented one of those $35 power washers. Not a good idea, but I used it and it worked. And I spent about six hours power washing my fence. Like literally the things like this big, it's like down and up, you know? And, and by the end, uh, my forearm was, is numb and I'm like just dying. But it looked like a brand new fence. Like, it's, like six months later, it still looks great. And I remember... I would get up in the morning for the next like three or four months and I would sit down and eat breakfast and be like, that is a good looking fence. <laughs> like I just, like it was just such a joy to like do something and like actually be able to see a result. And I think that points us to the immense and eternal joy that people who are faithful to Jesus and who spend their lives on fruitful labor for Jesus will have. I mean, you, 
Guys, there, in, for you, if you're a believer in Christ, if you know Jesus, when you, to live as Christ, every moment of your life, every situation you're in, whether it's out to lunch today or at the barbecue tomorrow or back at work on Tuesday and you feel terrible because you ate too much bad food or whatever, every moment of your life, easy moments, hard moments, pleasant moments, all of them are opportunities for fruitful labor that result in your eternal joy. That's the perspective. Um, so when you, when you take, when you take, when you look at your life, take this perspective up. Apply this. When you, when you go to lunch today, think to yourself, to live is Christ. If, I, if that's my perspective, what, what does that, how does that change lunch today? Um, and when you're in daily life situations, just like, you know, when you're taking care of your kids and they're driving you nuts or they just won't stop crying or there's, you know, number two blowout of the day. If you don't know what it is, I won't tell you. But like, you know, like, like if, that's, if that's what your day is like, say to yourself, to live is Christ. Man, this, this even caring for my little kid is an opportunity for fruitful labor. When you, uh, when you go on vacation, you know, you're that much crazy vacation you've been dying for. You know, I, I think one of my struggles when I go on vacation is just to take a vacation from the Lord and I gotta wrestle with that and deal with that. But when you go on vacation, if you really wanna be joyful on your vacation, say to yourself, to live is Christ. How does that change how I vacation? And I think most of all, I think, I think where this is the most helpful is where it was helpful for Paul. And when your life is difficult, when you are dealing with a family situation that is just tearing you apart, when you are, when you are working 90 hours a week and no one's even patting you on the back and telling you good job, when, when life is hard, say to yourself, you know, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Every moment, if you are a believer in Jesus, is an opportunity for fruitful joy, fruitful labor that results in your joy. So, so, so think about that. Don't just let it be like this truth in the back of your head, like, oh yeah, God rewards faithful people. You know, I, I know that. Let it be something that actually helps you engage in the moment. You know, like right now, I'm gonna rejoice that this is an opportunity for fruitful labor. But it's not just life. You know, life ends, and we've got to face that. It's not just life that's a joy for Paul. It's, he says in the end of verse 21, to die is gain. And that's, again, that's just like the beginning of the verse. It's explained in verse 23. I'm hard-pressed between the two, between life and death. My desire is to depart, to die, and to be with Christ, for that is far better. So he says that even death, because of the gospel, right? Because, because Jesus rose from the grave and that all of his people who die, who've trusted him, will be immediately in his presence forever and enjoying him. That even death, losing your life, is gain. Now, we typically don't like to think about death, right? I was, uh, I love my job. I really do. Uh, one, uh, sometimes it can be a little, a little funny, but one time I was sharing uh, a similar truth to this with a group of middle schoolers at our Wednesday night um, youth group. And I was sharing from them from Psalm 90, uh, one of the verses that says, uh, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. So the, the main point of that, I think, is just we need to think about the fact that we're going to die and that will help us be wise. And I remember sometimes I struggle, you know, are they paying attention to me? And this night I knew they were paying attention to me. Because the moment I started talking about that, about how we should uh, think about our deaths and that will make us wise, they were like, you're crazy. Like they were looking at me like, 
I've never had people like look at me like this while I'm teaching. Um, encouraging, right? You know, they're paying attention. It's great. Uh, but I think we're a lot more like them than we would care to believe. You know, when was the last time you, you know, reckoned with the fact that you're, you're mortal and that you're weak and your life is just hanging on a thread? It could be over any moment. We don't like to think about it, right? We're really, we're terrified of it. And I think, I think the reason is that we don't see our perspective is not that death is gain. Our perspective is that death is loss. You know, we see death and we think, oh, I'm going to lose precious time with my family. I'm going to lose my comfort. I'm going to lose my, my, my health. I'm going to lose everything. But, but, but a gospel perspective says, no, actually, death, as Paul says here, is, is deliverance. There's a quote uh, by C.S. Lewis I should have put in the bulletin, but it's one Buster used about a month ago, and I've just been just chewing on it. Um, he says this. To, he's writing a letter to a, uh, a friend of his who's dying, and he says this. Can you not see death as a friend and deliverer? It means stripping off that body which is tormenting you, like taking off a hair shirt or getting out of a dungeon. What is there to be afraid of? You have long attempted a Christian life. Your sins are confessed and absolved. Has this world been so kind to you that you should leave it with regret? There are better things ahead than anything we leave behind. If you know Jesus, that is, that is true for you. The greatest joy you have in your life right now is just a drop in the ocean that heaven is. Every desire you have, all the desires we have, God, God is going to meet them and fill them in heaven in such a way that you, you will be immensely joyful in an unbelievable way. When, when you die, you enter into the presence of Jesus you know, we, we, we love beauty. We want to behold beauty. We, we're, we're people who are attracted to beauty. Different things are beautiful to us, but we love it. We love beholding. You're going to see Jesus face to face. You're going to have a new body. You know, it, it's not loss. And we don't, I don't think the Lord would have us go overboard here and be like Jonah, you know, and say, just kill me, Lord. I don't think, I don't think that's where God would have us go here. You know, death is still hard and it's unnatural. It's a result of the fall. And some of you guys are walking through loss and grief is terrible. But when we think about our deaths, we think about how someday in God's providence they're going to come, whether by sickness or by the hands of an evil person, we should think, for me, if I know Jesus, that day will be gain. That day will be gain. Just think an application that. I would just encourage you this morning, settle that day in your mind. Think about it and say, I'm not going to be afraid of it. I'm not, I'm not going to, my faith in Jesus is going to change the way I view death. Pray that God would do that in your life. Settle that day. I am not going to fear this. And then, because once you're, once you're not afraid of death, you're not afraid of anything. I think, I think all of our fears, our fears of discomfort or of people not liking us or of being alone, all those things really are rooted in the fear of death. So if you, if you settle that day in your mind, if you pray that God would change you, destroying the fear of death will destroy every fear in your life. I think another one is just resolve that you're never going to let the fear of death keep you from obeying Jesus. You know, you, you, when when you, you have an opportunity to go somewhere scary for Jesus on a mission trip or, or whatever, or to you know, move to the inner city for ministry, and that thought pops in your head, like, what if I die? 
Like, what if, it, what if it's dangerous? You need to kill that thought. Man, death is gain. I know that sounds scary, and you guys are like, man, this one's weird. But like, like, like it really, if we believe the gospel, if we really believe that God cares for us and he protects us, and even when we die, that's gain for us. And don't ever let the fear of death keep you from being obedient to Jesus. Just before we close, I want to kind of go into a hopefully helpful sidebar. I don't think Paul's talking about this necessarily in the passage, but I think it's helpful. Um, If capital D death, if our actual death, if that's really gain for us, I think that means that every little death, every little suffering or little sacrifice we experience as we obey Jesus, I I think that's gain too. Look at, uh, or you don't have to look there, but I'll just read 2 Corinthians 4.17. This is one of the most astounding verses in the whole Bible, in my opinion. It says, for our light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Our light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us, or maybe even uh, producing for us an eternal weight of glory. This literally means, this means that Every single discomfort or suffering or struggle or dark night of your soul that you experience as you obey Jesus and walk with him, that God is going to take that. He's going to take it and he's going to work it for your good. He's going to take that, that particular struggle, that sleepless night, that difficult child or difficult parent or whatever. Okay? He's going to take that and he's going to use it and he's going to make that into your joy in heaven. There's going to be something particular you enjoy forever for every particular thing you suffer in this life as you obey Jesus and walk with him. Just think about that for a second. I mean, I think typically the way we view suffering is we're just like, man, Lord, get me through this. Like, I just, I just don't want, I just get me through. Like, I just, please just deliver me or, or help me to walk in this. And I think that's great. But I think there's a step further that will help you rejoice. And that is to say, I believe that this particular sickness or this particular relationship or this particular just heart sickness that no one knows about but me, this, God's going to take this and he's going to use it for my glory forever. Now, of course, of course you don't see how that works. I mean, I think, I think trying to see how our sufferings produce glory for us is like, like sticking a book to your face like this and trying to read, like everything's out of perspective. Or maybe, maybe I think a better illustration, maybe it's like a, a, beautiful, a beautiful painting and you've literally got your nose to it and you're trying to see it. And all you see is like some dark gray ooze spots, but you back up a little bit. All of a sudden it's beautiful. I think that there'll be a day for everything you've experienced as you obey Jesus where God, God pulls it back and he shows you. But, but now, but now in, through faith, Trust that every little thing, every big thing that you suffer as you obey Jesus, God takes it. He takes it and he works it for your good. He uses it for your glory in heaven. So in all of life and even death, if you have a perspective that's turned on the gospel, there's joy. My wife is an amazing gift giver. It's one of, it's just, she, she is such a good gift giver that she buys things for me that I tell her that I don't want because she knows me so well. I remember one time she, uh, she's like, do you want one of these like e-reader like nooks? And I was like, no, like I don't, I like a, to feel a book. And she bought it for me and I had like, I 
just used it forever. It was great. Um, I, th- I think this passage or this, this truth, this is like the perfect gift you never knew you wanted. You know, I, th- I, think, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, if we have a wish list from the Lord, it'd be a pleasant and relatively easy life until I go to heaven, you know? And to be honest, that's not reality, right? But this, this is better than that. This is a joy that is durable and real, and it's rooted not in wishful thinking, but in the truth. It's rooted in the gospel. It's a precious gift, and it, and it, has, been, and it has been bought for you by the blood of Jesus. You know, God's son lived perfectly in your place and he died to save you, to make you right with God, to make you God's child, but also as a fruit of that, to give you the ability to rejoice in every circumstance. So if you're a believer, man, take it up. It's yours. This, this perspective, this outlook on life that gives you joy, it is yours. You can take it up. And if you're not a believer, or if you're on the fence, or you're not really sure, I just want to say, how can you resist a God who does this for you? How, how can you resist a God who would, who would live and who would spend himself and who would suffer so that you could be happy forever? Just, I, just, I just hope this attracts you to Jesus. I hope it makes you see him as glorious and beautiful. His perspective is powerful. You know, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. I think this morning we can say that, that your joy is rooted in 10% what happens to you and 90% how you see it. May God help us to, to take up the gospel as a perspective to see all of our lives. May it give us joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy that is in Jesus. And just, just for the truth, Lord, thank you for this wonderful testimony of, of a truly happy man. And I just pray, God, that just practically your spirit would help us to apply this and to take it up. I pray that uh, this week and month and year that, that we would walk into life and say to live as Christ. And that when suffering or fears come that we'd say to die as gain, just, just give us the, the faith and the joy uh, to believe that and to take it to heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.